Hey there, listeners. Welcome to the official WNRG podcast. We believe the best knowledge is knowledge that is shared. Throughout our podcast journey, you'll hear advice from thought leaders, gain insight into areas of expertise other than your own, and hear the inspiring stories of others. This production is made possible by the dedication of our core team. I'm Tara DeLucia. I'm Carmen Pantoja Evans. And I'm Brittany Lemaire. We are looking forward to hearing what topics are important to you. Be intentional. Stay curious. And inspire others. You can share your thoughts on our WNRG Buzz page or by tagging us. Hashtag WNRG Podcast Series. The Women's Network Resource Group podcast team wanted to have an episode in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which is from October 1st through October 31st. But we wanted to go beyond the pink. We have nothing against the color, but we wanted to go beyond the pink and talk to someone who actually has had breast cancer, and that is why we asked you, Tammy, to be on the podcast. We want to know about some of your struggles, your hopes, and what you want other people to know about the illness. But let's first start with learning about Tammy Poole at at Humana. Give us a snapshot of your journey at Humana. I have been with Humana for 30 years, so it'll be 31 in January. I tell people I started when I was five. <laughs> um, it would be easier for me to tell you where I have not wor- where I have not worked than where I have. Um, I started out in the market office. Um, I've been in human resources. I spent most of my career in the commercial side of business, and currently I'm in pharmacy operations. Well, we'll just jump right on in. Uh, when were you diagnosed, and at what age? Um, actually, in September. Um, it will be my five-year mark. So I was diagnosed when I was 43. Absolutely no history on either side of my family. It was, um, I was pretty shocked. So what stage were you diagnosed with? Actually, I was stage three. Um, Mm. Yes, I had inflammatory breast cancer, which is very aggressive. It has a um, very high rate of reoccurrence, but it also has a very low detection rate in an early stage. Most um, women who are diagnosed with inflammatory breast cancer, it is either very late stage three or stage four because typically does not form tumors, kind of feathers through the system, doesn't get picked up a lot of times on a mammogram. Um, For some reason, I formed a lump, Um, found the lump actually about two weeks before a regular mammo. So when I went in, they weren't really busy. So I asked them, I said, could you do me a favor? Could you call my doctor and ask if she would change the orders from um, just, you know, a baseline to a diagnostic? And they were like, "Um, why would you want to do that? So I told them. They said, okay, and they did. And my doctor said, sure, go ahead. Um, I kind of felt like for me that was cutting off two weeks of, you know, getting a mammo, waiting, going back. Um, And I'll tell you the timeline um, because it's pretty much a whirlwind. I went in for a mammogram on Monday. Um. I could tell by the way she was moving the paddles around um, when she did the ultrasound that it was not good. She was going up into my armpit as well. So afterwards, um, they said, we really recommend you come back for a biopsy tomorrow. So it was Monday mammogram, Tuesday biopsy. Wednesday, my doctor called me and said, I need you to come in. I came in on Thursday. She gave me the results, which, you know, my heart already knew. Um, I she didn't really want to discuss the details of the type of cancer. She said, you know, I'm going to wait for an oncologist to walk you through that because he's really more um, capable of answering any questions you have. 
She says, but I want you to, you know, make sure that you are in quickly. So I, it was Monday mammogram, Tuesday biopsy. Um, Wednesday, my doctor called. Thursday, um, I went in to see my doctor. I went from there to the oncologist's office, from the oncologist's office to an MRI. And then Friday, um, I went in to have blood work on Monday. Then the following Monday, I was in surgery for my port placement. And on the following Friday, I was in my first chemo treatment. Oh, my goodness. So I left work on Monday thinking it was just, you know, a mammo and didn't come back for 19 months. I mean, talk about a whirlwind. And I had, um, I have three small children, too. So it wasn't just, you know, thinking about, oh, my gosh, I've left work holding the bag. And, but, you know, what am I going to have these three small kids? My husband works nights. Um, I had, yeah, the, the emotions were definitely a roller coaster. I'm trying to like put myself in your shoes and think about what the thoughts must have been in those like first few days. Like just, I mean, how difficult it must have been. And then worrying about, well, the kids is one thing and then, and work. I mean, how did work respond when you kind of shared with them what was happening? I worked for a wonderful, wonderful leader. Um, her name is Laura Paget. She's been at Humana for a long time as well. Absolutely the most supportive manager. I think if I had worked for anybody else, my experience would have been completely different. You know, and and um, our vice president at the time was also very supportive. I um, mean, he basically told me, do what you need to do to take care of you. The work will be here when you get back. That is exactly what you would hope a leader would say, especially in a wellness company. You know, that that would be the the direction. And that was what you said five years ago? Um, yes, I was uh, diagnosed. Well, my mammogram was on September 23rd, um, five years ago. So I just also consider that my diagnosis date because I knew <laughs> by the way they were performing right. um, the test that they had found something. Well, I have tons of questions from, from just that. Uh, and you mentioned just early on there wasn't family history of breast cancer. There was absolutely no family history on either side. Um, the only cancer that was on either side of the family was prostate cancer, mm. um, as far as immediate family through my grandparents. Wow. So you said that you had three young children and a husband. So take us back to that those, those two weeks where was your husband with you during at the diagnosis? Um, he was not, because um, he was home with the kids. <laughs> of course. Um, uh, and uh, we have, I mean, our, we're pretty strong personalities. Um, we lean on each other when we need it, but we're also very independent. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people say you guys live completely separate lives because I'm a day walker, he's a night worker. Um, but it works for us. Um, it's the way we take care of our kids. Um, but in that moment, you know, he called his boss and he was like, I'm going to need the rest of the week off. And his boss was like, what's up? And he was like, we've got some bad news. I really can't. I don't know all the details yet, but it looks like, you know, Tammy probably has cancer. And we've got some doctor's appointments and tests. And, and again, his boss, too, was like, do what you need to do. So he was home, but he was really there to help me by way of taking care of the kids and not having to worry, um, making sure that their days were normal. Um, even when mom's was crazy. So um, that first week literally was just a blur. Um, you know, we just tried to not be too emotional, um, you know, mainly because our kids were, you know, pretty young. 
old enough to understand that if there was something different about mom and dad, something was going on, but still very young. What were they, their ages? They were uh, eight, seven, and six. Oh, wow. Little bits. Yeah. And I have two older children, too. Um, I have a 24-year-old daughter and a 23-year-old. No, let me take that back. 25-year-old daughter and a 24-year-old son. Mm, all grown up. <laughs> yes. Um, I started over. There's 12 years between the two sets. <laughs> mm, very good. You had a support ne- network. It's, well, your husband was your first mm-hmm. support network. You had folks here at Humana, a super leader, it sounds. So Absolutely. So t- tell me more about the network that was formed. Um, but uh, After telling my husband, the first person to call was my brother. Um, my my mother doesn't take bad news well, especially if it's one of her kids. So I knew I didn't want I didn't want to tell her by myself. So he was the first person I called, and he was like, "You don't even have to tell her. I'll tell her." I'm like, "No, I I need to tell her." He's like, "No." He goes, "You can be there, but I'm going to tell her." Okay. So um, first was my brother. Then I called a couple of my friends who were nurses. Um, just you know reaching out to say, hey, this is what they're saying. Tell me what you think. You know, what should I expect? Um, and then I called my best friend since high school, um, Belinda Gonterman. Believe it or not, she works at Humana as well. If she has grandchildren. Her um, youngest child is an adult autistic. She's always busy with her and all of her events, and um, they do lots of things in, in that community. But at that moment, time just stopped for her, and she was like, what do you need me to do? Um, so she was there from day one. Um, she did so much for me uh, organizing, you know, meals for when I was going through treatment, you know, so people could drop food off or take my kids for the day or help me clean my house or do some laundry. Everybody needs that one go-to person, and she was it for me. I mean, I had lots and lots and lots of friends um, that – pitched in. But she was kind of like the quarterback. <laughs> Very good. That's a good phrase. Quarterback for the warrior. Yes. Well, I tell you, I pulled some stats from the American Cancer Society that I thought was very impactful. They said breast cancer is the most common cancer in American women, except for skin cancer. And currently, the average risk of a woman in the United States developing breast cancer sometime in her life is about 12%. And this means there is a 1 in 8 chance she will develop breast cancer. This also means there is a 7 in 8 chance she will never have the disease. So there's a positive to the negative. And this was 2018. Is that? Yep. That sounds sound, about right. Yep. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I read more. And, and um, what else I thought was interesting is that I actually pulled stats on cancer, breast cancer in men. And uh, they actually said the breast cancer in men estimates for the American Cancer Society estimates for breast cancer in men in the United States are about 480 men will die from breast cancer in, in, in one year. And for women, it's 40,920 women. So those are some interesting Wait. stats. Yes. Will die this year? Will die this year, according to the stats from the American Cancer Society. I had to reread that because it was saying stats for 2018. It didn't say in the last five years. It didn't say in the next five years. It said 2018. In the last three months, I have lost three friends to breast cancer. Mm. And all of them were under the age of 60. I've been looking through some of just the stats and trying to definitely get 
the most like concise numbers. I mean, even back in 2011, they were reporting that over 40,000 women passed away because of breast cancer. I've been seeing that every 120 seconds, someone is diagnosed with breast cancer. Like to me, I, I just, I can't even imagine. So, so can we talk about like prevention or, you know, there's a certain percentage that unfortunately, probably it, it just maybe happens so quickly, but can you talk to us about what you recommend in terms of just being totally on top of it and doing everything you can to prevent breast cancer or My, get to it early? Absolutely. Um, first and foremost is know your body. Um, Self-breast exam is so important because some of these literally will pop up like you know, you'll you'll do a self-breast exam on Monday and then on Friday you'll go, oh, what's this? Because sometimes they literally, it happens that quickly. And sometimes they aren't necessarily um, towards the surface, um, if that makes sense. Um, mine was not. So when I found mine, I, I actually questioned myself at first. Like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, but just definitely knowing your body um, and, and keeping on top of that. And absolutely get your mammograms. I am a total advocate for that. Um, mine did show up um, when I had my mammogram, thank goodness. Um, but the the technology in mammograms um, just over the past five years has, has gotten, you know, it's just amazing what they can pick up. Um, you know, they're getting into the 3D and the 4D and, um, uh, you know, having access to those and getting them is very, very important. And what, at what age are women supposed to be asking for, for these mammograms and going and getting this as part of their, their wellness? You know, it's, it's changed um, a couple of times, um, but it seems to kind of always go back to that 40-year-old range, especially if you have a family history. Um, I think if for some reason you have already tested in your gene positive um, for the BRCA gene, definitely um, no later than 40 for your first mammogram. Um, my doctor recommends 35 if you're gene positive. The CDC has multiple programs, and we'll include this in the show notes. It's not everyone to have access to care, and the CDC does have a couple of resources for uh, low-cost clinics. So I feel we need to share that as well for other people um, that are you know, reaching out and speaking to others. Tell me about your treatment process. What kind of surgery did you undergo? Well, um, my treatment actually started with chemo. Um, I started um, that literally that mm -hmm. next Friday. Mm -hmm. um, I was on adriamycin, which um, anybody that's been through chemo knows they, that's one the one they call the red devil. And it is literally red. A lot of people who have had it have said it's probably the worst that they've ever had. I tolerated it fairly well. Um, you know, nausea, lots of... Um, fatigue. Fatigue was the biggest thing for me, fatigue, fatigue and body aches. But when I finished that, I started a second type of chemo that was a plant-based chemo. And there's a lot of um, pre-meds when you go in for your chemo. The first 45 minutes of my treatment was actually pre-meds, um, basically stuff so that I wouldn't have an allergic reaction to the medicine they were giving me. So um, I actually didn't tolerate that as well. It That one was rough on me. But overall, I had, over the course of four and a half months, I had nine, 16 rounds of chemo. After that, I had a double mastectomy. I chose um, a double mastectomy. I was I did not have cancer um, in my right breast. 
Um, but because of the type of cancer that it was and has a really nasty habit of reoccurring, I chose to have a double. Um, so I went in for a double mastectomy, and I also had um, tissue expanders placed at the time of my mastectomy because I did have um, reconstruction. That <laughs> that in and of itself is another journey. Um, I literally had 17 surgeries in the span of 24 months. Um, I had some complications. Nothing major, but it was just always, you know, it was always something. Um, but everything turned out okay. Um, it's just, you know, that's just part of the journey, and it's part of the risk that you take, take if you choose to have reconstruction. Um, luckily, I never had any um, infection type of um, side effects. It was just other things. I had a tissue expander that actually had a leak, so it had to be removed and replaced and mm. just those type of things. And then after I healed from my mastectomy, um, I went through 19 rounds of radiation. Wow. I mean, I, I can't. Wow. I, I, yes. What's normal? Um, you know, I'm I'm not really sure what the normal is because I mean, I'll be honest, ladies, nothing about my journey is normal. If you were going to pick the anomaly for anybody to talk about, it would be me. Um, literally, when I went in for my mastectomy, I had six different entities waiting for me to sign a release so they could get a piece of my tumor because it didn't fit any textbook. I didn't fit the oh age. My gosh, yeah, I didn't fit the age group. I had a breast cancer that typically did not form tumors, but mine did. I was gene negative, no family history, um, no environmental causes that, you know, stood out. I, I was a total anomaly. But, you know, that's why I like to tell my story is because I caught mine and I'm still here. So I'm a success story in that right. And I did that with something that was totally non-textbook. So if if your cancer is kind of textbook, you have so many of the odds in your favor if you just pay attention to the signs. And, you know, maybe you won't have to go through a lot of what I went through because, you know, my, I'm not going to lie. Mine was pretty brutal. I mean, there were days where I was like, why am I even doing this? Um, you know, you're always going to have those those roller coaster moments. But, all you know, all in all, I stayed very positive. You know, there were times my husband wanted to have that what if conversation. And I just looked at him and said, what do you mean? There are no what ifs. I'm beating this. That's okay. So that was my question too. Like, do you do you go into it like, you know? Because I mean, I think all of us think about it sometimes. So I'm getting to the age where I'll need to get a mammogram soon, and you know, I'm, I'm meeting people or I know people who now have the diagnosis, whereas before maybe I didn't. So I think it's becoming more real. And I and I wonder like, what would the mindset be? Would it be all right? I need to make sure I'm thinking. Uh, what if, you know, I need to make these these plans or think about this, or if I'm just going to be like, uh-uh, like, I got this, so everything will be great. You know, so it's interesting to hear. You're like, nope, I'm beating it. There's no option. There's no other option, which is incredible. Yeah, and that was from day one. Like, I, I, I didn't lose my hair because I wasn't going to let cancer take my hair. I literally told my husband, get the clippers out. This is going. I'm Cancer will not ah, take that from so me. Amazing. It's oh, powerful. So he gave More me he, he gave me a mohawk and took some funny pictures and then he finished the haircut. <laughs> oh, um, and I had some great friends that um, both mm -hmm. one of them's a hairstylist. Um, one of them um, actually works in the hospital. Um, my friend that was a hairstylist. She says, "Come on, we're going to the wig shop." She goes, "You're going to look nothing less than fabulous every day." So we went and um, <laughs> I tried on wig after wig after wig and we narrowed it down. And the one that I really liked was really kind of out of my price range because wigs are expensive. Good ones are anyway. 
And she looked at me and she said, I didn't ask you how much it costs. She goes, if that's the one you like, that's the one you're getting. And the two of them split the cost and bought my wig for me. How sweet is that? (laughs) You know, I I had this mindset that for anybody that is listening that knows me, this will be of no surprise to them. Um, I was going to take control. Cancer was not going to control me. This, you know, my destiny was my destiny and I was going to make it happen. And one of the things for me is, is I did not want, I didn't want people's pity. So when I went out of the house, I didn't want to look like a cancer patient. I didn't want to go out of the house with no eyelashes, no eyebrows and a scarf on my head. And I know that that's not everybody's mindset, but for me, it empowered me to get up, draw my eyebrows on, glue my eyelashes on, put my lipstick on, put my wig on. And let me tell you, my wig was fabulous. She couldn't tell it was a wig. I mean, I had people come complimenting my hair all the time. And I'm like, they only knew. But <laughs> for me, that empowered me. Because mm-hmm. if I was going to have to get up and get out of the house, I wasn't going to have people staring at me and going, oh, that poor girl. Um, so... A lot of, I mean, a lot of people that walk by me on a daily basis had no idea what I was going through. And that is powerful. What a powerful statement. And it, the words I use, I hope that they're, uh, I think of warrior immediately. That's what I think of. And I hope that's a positive sound uh, sounding word to you. Um, you know, and like you said, it's just, a, it was your mindset is the way you felt. Um, but it also, you mentioned about the double mastectomy. Um those folks, like Angelina Jolie, I, you know, she popped up during my research, and that goes ahead and does the mastectomy, even though, even though she did not have cancer at the time. What is your opinion on that? Um, for me personally, I think it's a little radical, um, but you know, it's a personal choice, and that's something that I would never judge someone else um, for choosing. Um, I, I chose a double um, when I really only needed a single. Lumpectomy was not an option for me. Um, my breast cancer had actually um, metastasized to my skin, and it also um, was in three lymph nodes out of ten that they took. So, you know, I wasn't I wasn't a candidate for a lumpectomy. So I knew it was at least going to be a single, and I didn't want to have to redo that five years from now because it came back. So, you know, it was an easy choice for me. Probably, you know, people probably looked at my choice and said, well, why would you do that? Well, you know, everybody has their reasons. Does How important is lifestyle factors in the development of breast cancer? Um, you know, there's there's lots of research out there um, about lifestyles. And, and honestly, <laughs> I hate to say this, I think you, and well, I don't even think, I know that you can be one of the healthiest of lifestyle people and still come down with with this. Um, I have friends who I would have never dreamed that, you know, I, I thought they were invincible because they were the healthiest people I knew. Mm. And, you know, they eat clean, they work out, they get it too. Another, uh, some of my research also pulled me over to um, an interview with Ann Silberman. And she's with two others. And uh, she had a, a different view, not so much of the visual, what she looked like, but she went on, she said, Silverman at stage four, terminal cancer, said, when I found out I had breast cancer, I realized I was going to be drafted into this pink world of survivorship and balloons and runs, and I was so not interested in any of that. I just wanted to live my life 
and not be associated with all this breast cancer joy. And the longer I've been dealing with breast cancer, the gladder that I am that she created her own blog. And she went, she goes on to say, I'm not happy with the concept of awareness. Very few dollars goes towards research to cure us, goes towards mammograms to help people find their cancer, and then nothing once they find it. The whole thing is upsetting the way it's been handled. It's just a big marketing tool. So it goes on and on. But what is your feeling on that, on the marketing piece of what it is? I could not agree with her more. Interesting. Um, I I did um, the Making Strides walk after I was diagnosed with the next one. But I honestly, I did it more so for my support group who wanted to do it. Um, I, I felt if that is something that they felt they needed to do, I should support them in that because they had supported me. I've worked with groups that have raised money for the American Cancer Society. Um, I have a group of folks, a bunch of bikers. Called, uh, our, our team is called Ride to Ride Out Breast Cancer. Um, we were the flagship sponsor for Making Strides last year. We raised $32,000, which was about four times more than the next corporate sponsor, which was Kroger. Um, and this is, you know, just a bunch of folks. But the one thing that we um, talked about is, you know, where does this money, uh, yeah, we're handing it over to the Cancer Society, but where does it go? What does it do? And we really couldn't get an answer, a, a direct answer for that. Um, so I, I talked with the founder of the group and I said, you know, there's a local organization called Shirley's Way. I said, they raise money and that money stays local and it goes to cancer patients who need their co-pays covered. Um, they can't work. They can't pay their mortgage. So they pay their mortgage for them. They, you know, pay their rent. You know, pay, buy them tart tickets. Sometimes it's something as simple as a tart ticket can save somebody's life because that's the way they get to their treatment. Um, and I knew the founder of Shirley's Way. I had worked with him before. His mother actually was a human associate who passed away from cancer. Um, so our team now is teamed up with Shirley's Way. So um, I'm always doing some benefit, whether it's a poker run or a car show, or <laughs> I'm always doing something. Um, but that money stays local. So um, it's easy to get people to give because you can tell them exactly what's going to happen with that money. You know, we feed people. We keep a roof over their head because, you know, I'll tell you, if people don't have good insurance, they will be bankrupt. My treatment over the course of... 19 and a half months, my treatment was almost $2 million. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. I saved every bill. I married it with every COB. <laughs> um, <laughs> As you would know how to do that. Yes. But it was almost $2 million over the course of 19 months. One of my radiation treatments was $32,000. Just one. And then for some of those treatments, I had to get the new Lasta shot afterwards to boost my immune system. That new, that new Lasta shot was $1,000. So to work with an organization that, you know, tries to help people who are struggling through this journey. I mean, it's bad enough you have to fight for your life, basically. But, you know, the last thing we want people like that to worry about is, are they going to lose their house? Are they going to lose their car? Are they going to be able to eat tonight? Um, so... <laughs> kind of going around the house to get to the barn, but back to what you said, um, that is where I choose to focus. Um, 
I do a lot of work with, um, like I said, with that group. And I also do a lot of work with um, Camp Quality Kentuckiana, which is a camp that sends, uh, well, it's an organization. And their biggest thing for the year is that they send kids with cancer to camp. And I will say that the CEO and founder of Shirley's Way um, does not take a salary. Um, He actually works for Brown Foreman. Um, You know, he makes his own way in life. He doesn't take a dime from the organization. Every dime that goes in comes out. That's fantastic. I am with you 100% on on trying to keep stuff local because I I feel that connectedness. Back home in Missouri, we did a campaign every um, October. We had mouse pads, worked for an IT company, and we did pink mouse pads that we, you know, didn't sell for $10, but for a donation of $10. And we kept that all local to every local organization. We didn't do the outsourcing to some of the bigger names and... I'm 100% there in supporting local, keeping it local, and knowing where your money goes. There's just, all this is mind-boggling to me. The more I research, the more the more I found out and, and just hearing. I mean, you like you said, you're an anomaly. Is that, I think that's a phrase you mm-hmm. used. And so it wasn't in your history. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, wasn't in your lifestyle. It wasn't anything. You were just the, uh, the opposite of what most folks would expect. So what other resources are out there that you recommend? I definitely recommend looking in your direct community first because there are lots of groups, kind of like Shirley's Way, that are out there to help. Um, I will give kudos to um, the American Cancer Society and the Breast Cancer Society. They do have lots of good resources um, that you can tap into for information to kind of help guide your choices. Um I was fortunate enough that my oncologist was actually in a cancer center. So, you know, I could do my doctor's appointments, my labs, my PET scans, my infusions, all in the same building. So that garnered a sense of community because everybody there knew me, no matter what I was having done. Um, So I didn't have to come in and rehash, you know, what what had happened in the last two weeks. They knew because I had been there. Um, and they literally, I, I actually, two, two of the ladies that work in the office are now dear friends of mine. Um, my oncologist is wonderful. He was like, eh, if you can't get into your regular doctor, just call me. You can come on in. So just, you know, being on top of and owning, so to speak, who your doctors are, where you're going, you have choices. Um, because one of my, and, and this is not to knock any cancer center over another. But, you know, Brown Cancer Center was on my list of places that I could go, and I chose not to go there because they have a very high number of patients, and I didn't want to be a number. I'm sure they give great care, but I needed, for me personally, I needed something a little more intimate. Um, Everybody knew me there, from the receptionist to the bill clerk and everything in between. Um, I could walk in today and they were like, oh, hey, Tammy, how you doing? You know, I needed that sense of community because that in and of itself was the support for me. And, you know, anything I needed, if I had questions, I had multiple people I could ask. It wasn't I just didn't have to wait for my doctor to call me back. Sure. Sure. You knew your way around. Yeah. And it didn't take long. So have you completely recovered? Um. I don't think cancer patients who have went through chemo and radiation ever fully recover. Um, I am uh, I'm deemed cancer free or in remission, if you'd like to call it that. 
Um, but the long-term side effects of chemo and radiation, um, they're, they can be very, they can be devastating. Um, I, I tell people all the time, they're like, oh, you're always so upbeat. You know, I would never think you were having a bad day. And I'm like, that's a choice. I, I choose to make mm-hmm. the best of every day. I choose to be positive. But what people don't see is that it takes me 15 minutes to get out of the bed in the morning and be able to walk across the room because my knees and my hips hurt so bad because the chemo destroyed my joints. You know, I'm going to I'm looking at probably before I'm 60 needing near hip replacement. I have no connective tissue. Um, I have neuropathy. My hands and my feet go numb. Um, I have lymphedema. My left arm swells. Um, You know, those are the things that. Um, don't get talked about a lot when it comes to, well, really any kind of cancer, but especially breast cancer patients. Like in terms of like what's important in life or how you handled work prior versus how you handle it now or really anything, how does it change your mindset and your focus and your priorities? Um, well, let's start with priorities. Absolutely. Um, God was always first in my life and always will be. My family was always second, but I wasn't always as present for my family, not physically, but, you know, mentally and emotionally. I wasn't always as present um, before. I'm definitely more so now. As far as work is concerned, I do believe that stress was a contributing factor to me coming down with breast cancer. So when I came back to work, I was not going to work the way I did before. If it took more than what I could do in my 40 to 50 hour week, depending on the week, then it just wasn't going to get done. Um, I was not going to stay till six or seven. I wasn't going to fire the laptop up on a Sunday just to get ready for Monday. I wasn't going to do that anymore. I had done that to myself. It wasn't really an expectation. It was an expectation I had put on myself. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So, I, you know, I didn't do that when I came back. And, you know, I told him, don't expect that for, from me. <laughs> I told him, don't schedule an eight o'clock meeting. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, because mornings are hard. They're hard for me. I'm still fatigued, so I don't sleep well because of the pain that I have. So you throw not sleeping well on top of being fatigued. Mornings are not my stellar moments. (laughs) So, you know, I tell them, you schedule an 8 o'clock meeting, I'll dial in, but you're not going to get full mental me until 9. So you might as well just schedule at 9, and I'll be there in person. (laughs) I'm glad I scheduled this at 10 (laughs) a.m. But I've slowed down. If the vacuum cleaner doesn't get ran today, it'll get ran tomorrow, you know, and before, you know, it had to be done if I was up at midnight doing it before I went to bed just because it had to be done. I just don't sweat the small stuff anymore, whether it's a task, a chore, or even if it's, you know, relationships. If if somebody's relationship with me is dragging me down and they're more work than joy, you know, I back away. My, I don't, you know, my days are numbered, even though I've recovered the chances of it reoccurring are still there. So I'm for whatever time I have left, I will make the most of it. And and not sweating the small stuff is the biggest thing that I can do for myself and for my family. I just think that as women, we need to support each other. Unfortunately, in our society, women can be very catty and they can tear each other down. Just being supportive of, you know, your female friends and family And let's face it, if you come down with a breast cancer diagnosis and you're a a woman with kids, you know, you're married, you have a family, there are certain, you know, the gender roles are not necessarily um, 
uh, where we'd like them to be. There's still some of that stigma of the guys' chores, the women's chores. And let's face it, the moms do the most. <laughs> Sorry, guys, but moms do the most. Mm-hmm. Um, support anybody that has this diagnosis. You know, even if it's just going to their house and doing a load of laundry, you just have no idea the impact that they will have that that will have for them. Because as a mom, I still worried about everything that needed to get done. You know, the kids have to be at school this time. This project has to be done. You know, is there money in their lunch account? I, I'm going through treatment, but I'm still worried about all of those things. The dishwasher needs to be loaded. The, you know, all of those things. Um, I I had wonderful friends that paid for a cleaning lady once a week. Um, when I was going through treatment, so I didn't have to worry about that. Just those little things for, you know, for us to support each other. Because if you think about putting yourself in the shoes of someone that's going through that, you would want the same in return. That's so good. And Well, you know what I think, too, a lot is sometimes I, and this isn't good, but I think, well, somebody else is probably doing that. You know yep. what I mean? Like, you hear about someone who gets a diagnosis and you're praying for them and you, you know, express, like, oh, whatever you need, whatever you need. But then it's not up to them to say, yes, I need your help. <laughs> it's probably up to you to say, here's what I can do. I can do a load of laundry. I can help pick up the kids. Or, you know, which one of those can I assist you with? So I think that's a call to action of that I hadn't really thought about before. Um, you know, we just got to take ownership of that. And, and like you said, we got to help one another. And, you know, you hit exactly um, where I was going to go next. Um, I felt like I was leaning on the same people all the time, and that made me feel bad because I'm like, you know, they have families too. Um, So I use the resources that are available. I I started a Facebook group called Team Tammy, and I started that because it was a way for me to give everybody an update at the same time so I didn't have to send out a bazillion texts, make 15,000 phone calls. But I also started to use it for, hey, you know, I need somebody to pick my kids up tomorrow. Or, hey, you know, I need somebody for this. And I just threw it out there on the page so that any of the members that wanted to step up could do it. Because sometimes it's hard. People don't not, – not everybody can walk in and say, what can I do for you? You know, they, they want to, but they don't know how to. So I just threw it out there. And then I wasn't asking the same people all the time to help me. This was a way for – I think there's a little over a thousand members on that page now. At the time, there was probably about five or six hundred members. So I throw it out there, and anybody could do that. You know, I had people that took my kids trick or treating for me because I couldn't do that. I had friends that took my kids Christmas shopping, and you know, this was all because of that Facebook page. They were able to network with other people and coordinate, and it kind of, I could just sit back and let it happen. A fantastic resource. And I, yeah, and that page is still active, and I use that now just to share information. I post articles. Um, I have pretty much anybody that's on that page, if they have a friend that's newly diagnosed, they'll message me, hey, can you add them to the page? And then we wind up being Facebook friends, and then, you know, I kind of can become a support for them. Um, so it just kind of morphed from my needs, and now it's, you know, more of an advocacy for other people. Very good. Team Tammy on Facebook. Yeah, Team Tammy, um, all one word. What else do you want to share with us? I tend to be brutally honest, and sometimes people are just looking at me like, really? And I'm like, no, really. It was it was that crazy. I mean, I look back now, and I just kind of laugh because I'm like, wow, that just really happened. <laughs> um, no, you got to keep it real. You have to give people these real expectations that, no, not everything is all about wearing like my, my pink scarf or doing this and getting it. You got to be real with it. I mean, and, 
I will give you one last piece of parting advice because the pink has come up multiple times. Please do not buy your friend who was just diagnosed a bunch of pink. (laughs) I was so over pink within about a month and a half. Um, And I love pink. I love the color. Um, But there's, and I get it, sometimes it's a little sweet sentimental thing. But you know what? There's just so much more you can do for someone than pushing that pink agenda. Mm. And and you looked at those stats. We've got over 40,000 women a year dying while we're spending billions of dollars on awareness. We're very aware. Why are we continuing to spend money on awareness when we should be funneling that money to things that are really going to make a difference? Let me, let me just interject here because I have to say, like, this conversation for me has brought more awareness to what I probably need to be doing than any type of um, advertising or effort, you know, with the whole pink movement. And I, I really mean that. Like, you kind of hear it and you're like, yeah, 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 you know, I support, I, I want to, you know, I want to be a part of the movement, but you're not, I don't know, I never really took it in because my family hasn't been um, touched by breast cancer, so it's not really been at the forefront of, like, my thoughts and, and my prevention. So, to be honest, this has probably been more impactful than anything I've ever encountered, and I, and I hope it is for our listeners, too. So, I, I just can't thank you enough for your your just your authenticity with this. It's pretty pretty powerful well thank you i appreciate that well tammy we do we do thank you so much for joining us and i want to say to you i'm in all of all that you you and your courage and what you've been through and your willingness to face it and talk with us about it we really have to um, think about what you said and really take care of our health and stress level and all of that there's so many layers to women's health so many layers Hey there, listeners. We hope you've enjoyed this special edition episode featuring the personal story of one of our WNRG members, Tammy Poole. We can't begin to thank her enough for sharing her courageous story with the utmost authenticity. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. As Tammy said, we're aware. So let's do something bold together. Please help share this story. Our podcast is for every associate Humana, WNRG member or not. Together, We can work to remove barriers, bridge gaps, and share knowledge about all of the phenomenal work we contribute to across the enterprise. Make sure to text WNRG to 239-355 so you'll never miss an episode. Thank you again for listening. And that's it for this episode. You can share your thoughts on our WNRG buzz page or by tagging us, hashtag WNRG podcast series. Until next time, be intentional. Stay curious and inspire others.